When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast. England started the day on 241 for four and at one stage looked on course for their first 400 plus first innings total in nearly two years. Stokes, who ended on 91, and Ollie Pope looked in superb touch before England's customary collapse came as they lost four wickets in the space of 21 balls. A mini recovery from Josh Butler and Jack Leach picked England up to a final score of 353. New Zealand ended the day on 144 for four, 209 runs behind England. Sam Curran, as he so often is, was England's star. First, he had Tom Latham LBW for eight for the moment of the day, and it may well end up being the moment of the test, was when he dismissed Kane Williamson with an absolute snort of a ball just after he reached 50. I'm Yazrana, and with me on the phone in Mount Maunganui is the editor of the Wizard Almanac, Lawrence Booth. Lawrence, Ben Stokes and Ollie Pope, who looked so good this morning, both are out playing quite rash drives, Pope particularly so. How much will they be ruining the missed opportunity to bat New Zealand out of the game? Yeah, I think they will be ruining it. Uh, what were England, 277 for and, uh, and looking like they were, they, were, they were cashing in on the hard work of the first day. And I think if, if they'd got to 400, 450, uh, I think at that point 450 was probably the bare minimum, um, you know, they really would have taken complete control of the game as it was. Um, they both played, as you mentioned, loose shots and, and England uh, struggled for a bit and it was precisely the kind of passage of play that you know the new coach Chris Silver would be looking to, to stamp out he wants them to, to take a more um, mature should we say approach to, to batting and that, and that, that, that little 10-15 minutes there um, was not part of the master plan yeah, in stark contrast to how England batted yesterday. It should be said that it was a great catch from Ross Taylor to see the end of Stokes. Um, England collapsed from 277 for 4 to 295 for 8 and only managed to get past 350 thanks to that 52-run partnership between Leach and Butler. I've got a good stat on Leach. Leach has been dismissed just once every 78.6 balls for England in 2019. Only Stokes has been dismissed less frequently for England in 2019. For a while during that partnership, New Zealand looked a bit out of ideas. Butler seems to be really growing into his role at number seven, I thought. 
Yeah, interesting stats on Leach. I mean, it, you know, he, he's going in at 10 at the moment, but I think there's a good case for him going in at 9 above Joffre Archie. He's already shoved Stuart Broad down to 11, and he, he looks organised, doesn't he? He's got a, a decent little cover drive. He leaves the ball alone. Well, you can tell he's been working with Marcus Treskothic on his, on his batting, and he, and he gave up the, the support he needed. Um, I mean, he almost ran him out early on, actually. It could have been, it could have been 295 for 9, and, and then England might have been all out for 300, and that, that really wouldn't have been enough. But yeah, that was very important little stand. Um, the last six wickets went for something like 78, of which 52 came in that partnership. So it was it was pretty crucial uh, for England. And um, and Butler, yeah, he put a six onto the press box tent at one point. We were slightly worried where the landed just on, on the roof. And it, and it gave England, you know, a, a bit of a fillip after that that collapse of four for whatever it was, four for 18 and 21 balls. So so crucial little stand that got them going again. The pattern of a lot of tests in New Zealand in the last few years has been that New Zealand bat big and bat once on quite slow surfaces. They've hit scores of 715 and 585 at home in the last year alone. Key to that quite often is Kane Williamson. With that in mind, how big was that wicket of Williamson who was looking imperious towards the end of the day? Oh, that was huge. I mean, you know, Williamson is to New Zealand what Steve Smith is to Australia, what Virat Kohli is to India. He is the linchpin. And he'd, he'd got to 50 the ball before, a slightly involuntary prod to third man uh, for four off, off Sam Curran. And the next ball reared unexpectedly from Curran. You know, he's been brought into the team for a change of angle, perhaps a bit of left arm swing, not for a ball that's going to bounce and take the, 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 the bottom glove of New Zealand's best batsman. A bit of bat handle and then looping to, to Ben Stokes a second slip. So, you know, the reaction of England's field has told you everything. That was the absolute key wicket. You know, and if, if there is going to be a bit, bit of uneven bounce here, um, England will want a first innings lead. They'll be very happy that New Zealand will be batting last. And it, yeah, I think it was the moment where they really thought, hang on, we might actually go on and win this game. Would you say England are on top at this point? Yeah, yeah I'd say they're in a the stronger position. Um, you know, They've got a lead of 209 going into the third day. New Zealand have six wickets left. Nichols and Watling are two gritty customers. Uh, Nichols surviving a, a nasty blow on the side of the helmet from Archer at the, towards the end there. But if England could get any kind of lead, um, you know, even if it's just 60 or 70, I think they'll fancy their chances because I don't think the pitch is going to get easier to bat on it. It'll, it might it might get a touch slower, but I think the uneven bounce will increase as the pitch goes on. That brings guys like Archer, Stuart Broad into the equation. I think, as, as, we, as we probably felt when we arrived at the ground this morning, we felt then that England had slight control of the game. And I think, despite their collapse in the morning, we still feel the same uh, at the end of end of play on the second day. So I think they'd, I think uh, you know, both sides would rather be in England's position at this stage. Well, thanks for that, Lawrence. Talk to you tomorrow. No problem. Thanks, yes. I'm at Wisden HQ with Wisden's Ben Garner. Ben, on current, that was the big selection bait going into the test. His bad balls look so innocuous that it's quite easy to write him off. But he also bowls a hell lot of wicket-taking deliveries as well. Yeah, I think... I mean, we'll come on to the short ball later, but I think with his full balls that take wickets, there's the the thing about bowling as full as Curran does is that when it's not good and you just get pumped like back down the ground, it's quite a demoralising effect. Like, uh, it, it basically, it, lo- it looks really innocuous when it when it goes wrong, but you're kind of always in the game because if a player's going to try and attack you, there's there's more of a chance they'll misjudge it and then you get a wicket that way. But I think actually to say that it was about New Zealand attacking today would do him a disservice. I think he was the pick of England's bowlers just from like an objective viewpoint, even look without looking at the, the wickets column. And that that dismissal of Kane Williamson should actually really worry New Zealand because as much as it was like brave from Curran to try a short ball against like one of the best three test batsmen in the world 
when he's not really breaching 130 kph that often and williamson was looking amazing until that point england hadn't looked like they had a chance against him yeah and i mean but but what was more concerning for him was that it was really uneven bounce that did it there was a ball just before which had uh like got a bit lower so this, this one really leapt and there was another ball earlier in the day which had like kept low and just kind of scuttled past off stump and batting last in this pitch is going to be a struggle and it looks like New Zealand aren't going to carve out a lead. So England are in quite a strong position, I think. Yeah, before Curran came on for a second spell, I thought it was under bold. I thought that he only bowled five of the first 37 overs. It was the big selection rate going into the test match. It was Wokes versus Curran. And I know we've talked about this quite a lot, but they are kind of like opposites despite filling very similar roles. Yeah, I mean, we should also say for Curran that having got a first ball in the day, he'll be really glad to have contributed with the ball. But that's what he does is just every almost every test or at least I've looked at it and I think you can get basically about half the tests he's played he's sort of turned the match in one way or another even though he's not yet got really a landmark performance by his name whereas yeah and what we see it doesn't really look like you expect a test match bowl to look both in this kind of stature and how he kind of runs in and doesn't like leap at all and just kind of like ravi ramples it down the other end uh whereas Chris Wokes is all kind of like straight lines and like proper techniques with bat and ball and he you know is sort of quite handsome and dashing he's got his beard and stuff it's a uh, yeah I mean Sam Curran's who I'd pick as I've, as I've written every day of the week and I think it's becoming increasingly hard for England to leave him out of kind of any side they pick at least in T20 and in test cricket and I think now they've got this this lineup that looks like a test lineup it's actually easier to squeeze him into it whereas before it felt like he was the like the sort of luxury player they couldn't really afford he makes things happen he does I talked a lot with Lawrence about the England side of the batting collapse, but from a New Zealand perspective, Tim Southey was excellent. You did a bit of digging into his career. Yeah. Uh, you basically wrote a biography on him. Uh, he's perhaps better than people give him credit for, and he's had a really excellent career, and he's arguably the best he's ever been. Yeah, so because I, I sort of looked at him and Trent Bolt as like Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson, where you had like a team's all-time great new ball pairing, but with one clearly superior to the other. But actually, Tim Southey's record is really dragged down by his first 19 tests, where he averaged about 44. And that was when he was quite young and he was in and out of the side. And since then, he has averaged less than Bolt in test cricket. Um, He's also got a really, really good record in Asia, which, again, surprised me. I'd forgotten about his uh, seventher in Bangalore, which is the, the second best figures by Kiwi there which is a what a stat yeah uh, he got he got a, a brilliant five for against Sri Lanka as well he's a yeah he's, he, I think he is a bit underrated as even for a New Zealander and I think that yeah he, he was fantastic today and really canny I think I think the while the ball to Sam Curran was about his skills he kind of hooped it into his pads and it was like plum LW it was the Stokes one in a way that was almost the more impressive where Stokes was... Do you reckon? Well... <sighs> Wasn't that more uh, kind, of, kind of a rash shot from Stokes? Like, he didn't really need to play it. England were going at a decent rate and it was a, a shot that he basically should have just left. It was well wide off stump. Yeah, but I think what Southie did is he recognised the plan that Stokes was going for and found a way to counteract it. Stokes was sort of... He wasn't just coming down the track. He was also walking down outside off stump and trying to get things that he could get off his pads and into the leg side. And that meant that almost like, you know, when you see a, a spinner, like see a batsman coming and they flight it wide and almost get a, a stumping off a wide. He, he kind of dangled it a bit wider and a little bit shorter. And then Stokes, having come down, he kind of made the decision to almost attack already, kind of flayed at it and then edged it, edged it through. 
A point of controversy today was Joss Butler's dismissal. Do you want to explain what happened there? Well, yeah, I mean, this might only be controversy between us two. It's hard to tell. They were sort we of, were up in arms. Yeah, they, they, they were kind of jokingly talking about it on on the TV because Mitchell Santner was in the crowd signing so autographs. Joss Butler had basically hit Neil Wagner straight to deep point. Yeah, where it looked like at first there wasn't a fielder and then Mitchell Santner kind of comes from nowhere, vaults the fence, runs onto the field and takes, takes a catch. Uh, Joss Butler didn't, remonstrate at all uh and didn't so he didn't seem at all aggrieved but it's you've read the rules yeah i have so i haven't i haven't now got them in front of me so i'm not going to be able to cite the exact clauses but there's one which in the playing conditions which dictates uh entering and leaving the field and i think it's more for things like going off for a, a pee or whatever and this but he did the, the the difference here is that i guess because new zealand grounds aren't properly stadiums in the way we'd expect you can just kind of hop the hoardings and get into the crowd and that's what he did to meet a few kids which is so nice. it wasn't just off the playing it wasn't just outside the boundary it was actually outside the hoardings and basically in the in the crowd yeah which i think makes a, a fairly key distinction and so perhaps technically in the rule book you can say that he should have uh gone and consulted with the ump well not gone and consulted with the ump but basically shouldn't have done that and that if he was then going to come on that he should be telling the umpires to then come back on and i mean it does have an impact but i think the more in a way the more concerning thing is the uh the anti-corruption implications and no one's suggesting there's anything going on from a corruption point of view i mean these kids were at most 10 years old and then, <laughs> i don't think they start them that young uh but it doesn't seem inconceivable to me that i mean especially you see players kind of taking selfies on the edge of a pitch not not that uh rarely these days uh that they could be past a phone that has sort of information on it that's been sent in from outside which they kind of try and guard against and when you see like the kind of heavy-handed punishments handed out to emily smith say in the in the bbl for just posting a, a team sheet accidentally on her private instagram this seems like a kind of a, maybe a bit of an oversight gray area and yeah, I, mean, I guess it, i guess it's seen that fan interaction is a good thing and that we as far as we know it's all it's all fan interaction in the past has been totally innocent but yeah given how how uh strict and how cautious they are elsewhere it does surprise me that they are still allowed players are still allowed to literally have strangers phones on them when they're not allowed their own phones for the entirety of the day yeah i think i guess they're, they're probably right to go heavy on it i think i think it's more about just the inconsistency between the two rules i'm not sure whether i think that mitchell Santner shouldn't be allowed to jump the boundary and kind of make a few kids days by signing their bats uh, but it seems odd that you have these kind of draconian rules in one instance and it's like like quite lenient in others. Um, there's an interesting passage of play between Jack Leach and New Zealand opener Jeet Raval. Raval was really struggling to rotate the strike and out of nowhere tried to hit Leach out of the park. He was unconvincing on his first three attempts and went for it on a fourth time uh, and he hit it straight to Joe Denley at mid-wicket. He didn't look very confident, did he? And he's, I looked at his first-class numbers going into the series. They're been pretty low yeah he's got 24 runs in three innings in the Plunkett Shield coming into coming into this yeah it, it, yeah he just looked out of Nick didn't he we, we know he's a good player and we know he can play spin he got 130 against Bangladesh last summer uh I think it's just about like yeah and it, it was the although he was attempting a big shot it's because he couldn't get those singles to kind of keep his score ticking over it was almost, almost Misbah-esque except he uh he couldn't actually get, properly connect at all Stokes' 91 across the two days was was so, so good. You particularly enjoyed his on-drives, but he, he's, he's batting at another level at the moment since 
the start of the World Cup, really. He's, he's been just brilliant for England with the bat. Yeah, he got, did he get a 70-odd in that Pakistan series before the World Cup when England were chasing? They kind of stumbled to a chase of 350, which just seems absurd, but is what they did. And that kind of kickstarts him back into form. And yeah, he, he just looks in absolutely unbelievable, Nick. And I mean, the, the, the Stokes on drive is like one of the most kind of uniquely dismissive shots. He kind of, because after he plays it, he kind of stands there with his feet, both points of the bowler kind of square on and almost takes like a few more steps. It's almost like a kind of come at me thing. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's an absolutely superb one. I mean, I think we both enjoyed it, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, same questions I asked Lawrence. At this point off that current wicket of, of Williamson, England on top? Yeah, absolutely. I actually felt, although England had a good day one from a personal point of view, I felt New Zealand were still favourites. I think I, th- I thought it was going to be the kind of game where England maybe make near 400, but then New Zealand kind of make 550 and bat them out of the game and possibly win by an innings or quite a lot. They're just that good at home. Uh, so the, that England have managed to take those four wickets and include the one of Williamson is absolutely huge. And yeah, as I say, with a pitch looking like it's going to go a bit up and down and with it, New Zealand will need a special effort to take a first innings lead and they're probably going to need to do that if they're going to take a lead in the series, I think. One thing uh, that frustrated me from an England point of view towards the end of the day is how they had a real opening there. They got a couple more wickets, they'd be well, well on top. And although Archer's bouncers looked dangerous, they didn't really look like taking wickets. And I was kind of just like internally screaming, pitch it up, pitch it up. And then in the last over the day, Joe Root Bowler put himself onto bowl, which to me made no sense at all. Yeah, it's an odd one. I, I guess you don't want to discourage these things as a captain too much like if you have a bit of a hunch that you know you spotted something you, you want to be encouraging that kind of thing like we could easily accuse Root of not being funky enough at times and I quite like a captain who likes to bowl themselves uh, yeah. uh, that's not criticising Root's captaincy I thought it was very good he brought Curran on earlier than you'd have thought and he got the wicket of Latham he brought on Leach early who looked threatening and did get one of the openers out so I think he had a good day just I thought that England didn't perhaps use the last 20 minutes in the way they could have done. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, th- I thought Archer, he, he didn't look in like as well beating as he sometimes does, but I thought he bowled pretty well. And I mean, although he didn't look close to getting a wicket, that, that hit on Henry Nichols was really, really scary. And I think after you've hit a batsman on the head, I think you're entitled to kind of go for a bit more. And obviously sometimes you want to go for the sucker punch, but sometimes you also want to go for the bluff of uh, of also keeping it keeping it short and seeing if you can, if you can get him that way. And I mean, on another day, maybe he, because he, he also, he didn't just keep going short. He was a bit offline in the last few balls, which, which can happen. And if he gets them online, maybe Nichols sticks his hands up when you get yeah, another wicket. I just kind of feel that we can kind of get carried away with how, with Archer, because he can bowl so quickly. He is also a brilliant bowler, just bowling top of off stump mm. in his own right. So I think sometimes he himself gets carried away with his own, uh, I mean, he's got so many options of what he can bowl. And I think sometimes top of off stump like he was bowling well today I don't think he needed to do that at the end of the day yeah no, no so I, I, I agree on that and I think that even if you look at some of the quickest bowlers in the world taking Mitchell Stark out if you look at like Pat Cummins say he will basically just bowl at the top of off stump and recognise that if you're doing that at 90 miles an hour ever then you're that much more likely to get someone to make a mistake so. exactly exactly right thanks Ben we'll be back tomorrow if you're enjoying these daily pods please do tell your cricket loving friends about them and if you're feeling particularly kind please do leave us a five star review see you next time
Social Podcast Network.